Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to the Showing Up to Your Life podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Art Burns with my fancy new microphone, and I am still so excited about this. <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, I think I'm going to get a uh, a different mechanism to like uh, have the 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 boom kind of holder so that it's up here instead of like right in front of me this is so awkward after doing uh you know 420 odd uh episodes with my airpods it's this is taking some getting used to but i have to say that i am so grateful because the sound is incredible and i'm sure you're hearing that too so uh once again just very, very excited about this. <laughs> so um, so today I thought we could, um, you know, yesterday we talked about the curiosity, right? And and the, the whole concept of the beginner's mind, right? And, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm working with my clients, you know, I kind of, you know, I kind of give them the, um, you know, sort of the, the, I think I mentioned this in the, in the podcast yesterday, that it used to be just three sort of main qualities, right? That we can, we can practice presence, right? We can practice acceptance and we can practice uh, compassion. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so, you know, but curiosity is something that I added in a little bit later. Actually, based on, on you know, work with a certain client, we, we realize that curiosity is so absolutely vital for this work, you know, and it's so much so that in a way you actually you know, you actually facilitate the other three through the curiosity, right? Because the curiosity is essentially that that non-judging awareness that comes from mindfulness as we're practicing it, right? Mindfulness, it turns to to heartfulness when we kind of focus more on the compassion end of things. And so so this week I decided after, after yesterday's podcast, which I hope you enjoyed, uh, I decided that I'm going to actually go through the four different, uh, different concepts, right? So we did curiosity yesterday. So today we're just going to go backwards, right? So today we're going to do uh, compassion, right? Not that it's really backwards. It's just usually in the order that I, I go. Otherwise, I, I usually do the order of presence, uh, acceptance, compassion, and curiosity. But now we're going to go curiosity, compassion, acceptance, presence. And so we'll, we'll know it backwards and forwards, which is be a good thing for everybody, right? So a lot of times, you know, when we talk about compassion, right? <clears throat> Pardon me. You know, a lot. Most people feel that compassion is something that's beneficial. They feel that it's it's really uh, uh, a nice thing to do. It's it's a good way to live. You know, but but they but most people don't recognize how vital it can be and how beneficial it can be to ourselves. You know, most of the time we feel that um, that when we're being compassionate, you know, it's it's kind of thinking about others, right? And this is true, right? But there is also self compassion, and um, the way that I operate with compassion, the way I teach compassion is that there's no difference between self-compassion and compassion for others, right? It's all compassion. And, and in fact, it's, it's an all or nothing kind of thing, right? That, that if we're, if we feel compassion for everyone, right, then we are able to feel compassion for ourselves. Vice versa works also, right? Like when you can feel compassion for yourself, it opens up the compassion for everyone. But, but very specifically, you know, most of us have this this idea of you know of having compassion for for people out in the world, right? But but almost everybody, and I mean almost everybody. So don't feel ashamed if you feel this way about yourself. And I felt this way about myself for a very very long time. Is that for most of us, compassion has this line, 
right? Like, like we'll, we'll practice compassion for all the different people in the world, you know, do, you know, we'll practice compassion for, for this friend, for that relative, for our close family members, to colleagues. We'll, we'll practice compassion for everybody, but not for that SOB who did that thing to me and, and made me hurt that one time. I'll never wish compassion for that person, right? Or maybe there's people you see on the news, right? Like, I'll never wish compassion for those people. They're doing horrible things, right? And so what happens is, and this is something I've covered a lot, so again, pardon me, a lot of these messages are coming back around over and over and over again. And, and it's, you know, as I talk to my clients about that, you know, it's, it's not a circle, it's a spiral, right? So, so every time we, we repeat one of these messages and one of these lessons, we're doing so with the vast wealth of understanding that's, in, you know, that, that's, that's gained through the other messages in between. <clears throat> so therefore, it's not like we're going around in a circle. We're going in a spiral. So every time the message comes back around, we're understanding it in a little different kind of way. And, and, it's, and it certainly is something that feels like we're ascending, which is a beautiful thing, right? So, um, so pardon me for, again, <laughs> you know, repeating myself in this spiral kind of fashion. But the way compassion works or, or sort of the way lack of compassion works, right? Specifically when we talk about forgiveness, right? Like like when it's that one person that we refuse to wish compassion towards, right? Like that one or or anybody past that line, right? Anybody who has hurt us or hurt others that we care about or or doing things that are just really terrible things out in the world, right? Those people for whom we have that line and we will not wish compassion to them, right? What we're doing essentially is we're not forgiving them for something, right? And now scientifically, and there's there's many, many studies that have been done with this, and if you'd like some backup information about this and some uh, source notes, all you got to do is let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll gladly, very happily send you some articles and some some uh, research materials that I've I've used to get this understanding about how forgiveness and compassion work together and specifically how unforgiveness and non-compassion is really, really a scary thing, right? So what happens is when, when, we're, when we're refusing to forgive someone, right, or like, like I said, refusing to, to offer compassion to somebody, it's basically the same thing, right? Like why would, we offer, why, why would we stop ourselves from offering compassion to a specific person? The reason for that is going to be because we don't forgive them for something. Right. Either we don't forgive them for, for how they've acted towards us or towards others, or we don't forgive something about what they're all about. Right. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so so when we get to that point and there is that person. Right. Here's the thing that happens. Right. And this is a physical thing that happens. Right. When we think of that person and whatever wrong they have done, which is preventing us from from, uh, you know, allowing ourselves to to feel compassion for this person what we're doing then in that moment right in that moment that you're thinking about that person right there's something really tricky that happens with the brain right and i talk about this quite a bit but it's really really worth understanding it's worth repeating because it's so valuable to understand this right your brain does not know the difference between an actual experience 
and the thought of an actual experience, the memory, the imagination of an, you know, the, anything that's happening inside our mind about a certain experience, right? Your brain doesn't really know the difference, right? A lot of times we kind of have this sense of the brain like it sees and it hears and it feels and it smells and it tastes, right? But it doesn't do any of that, right? Your brain is just, you know, kind of stuck in this dark, wet cave of your skull for your entire life. It really doesn't know what's going on. All it knows is what our senses are telling it, right? So when it has this visual thing that it's seeing, that visual information gets processed in a certain part of the brain. But if you're imagining seeing something, that same part of the brain is responsible for that, that processing, right? So therefore, the brain is very, very easily fooled in this way, right? And what that means is that when you have the thought of someone who has done something wrong to you, right, or, or the memory of that specific um, event or experience that was so offensive to you, right, what your brain is doing is it's thinking that that is happening right now. Right. So let's say you're you're remembering a time where you were bullied as a kid. Right. When you, you come to that that memory. Right. When that memory pops into your mind and you think about that child who bullied you or that big kid who bullied you when you were little. Right. Your brain thinks that you're being bullied again. Right. And there's one thing that your brain knows how to do to save you from whatever it, it feels it's experiencing, right? Because it's scary, right? Your brain feels it's under threat, it's under attack. And the only way your brain knows how to deal with that is to initiate the stress response, right? Which means through a, through a series of reactions that happen in your brain with certain glands, a pituitary gland and other glands in your body that, that get into your endocrine system and they release cortisol as well as adrenaline and norepinephrine, but cortisol is the real kind of sexy, famous, uh, you know, stress hormone that we're talking about these days, right? And what happens is, and this has been well tested, again, many, many studies done on this, where they, they have people think about somebody who, who they weren't forgiving or think about a, an argument they had at some point, and they could measure the difference in cortisol levels in the body, right? So cortisol, again, is that stress hormone. So what your, your brain is doing in that moment is again, it's turning to its very sole and only defense mechanism, which is the stress response, which could be called otherwise the fight or flight response. Fight, flight, or freeze really is the way that it really works. So, you know, and so if you if you feel like you're just paralyzed, right, that's the stress response too. As much as, you know, feeling, you know, you know, the the fight or flight, you know, the freeze part of that is also something that's very important. I don't want to digress on that. But but anyway, <clears throat> as as you you consider that person who you will not forgive and you will not offer compassion to, well, that's what's happening in your body, right? Your body is secreting cortisol, right? And ultimately what this is doing is it's hurting you, right? Because that cortisol is misplaced, right? If you're just sitting at your desk and you're thinking about some, you know, bully who 30 years ago was, you know, took your milk money at school, right? That is not an imminent threat. But what happens is your, your body goes into the stress response as though it were trying to survive an imminent threat. 
right which means that you're you're just sitting there at your desk and you're you're just flooding your body with this this hyper arousing uh you know cortisol adrenaline and norepinephrine which means that your heart rate is going to increase your blood pressure is going to go up many many areas of your brain and your body including your memory and your reproductive system and all the really important stuff that's happening in your body is going offline when you're in that state, right? When the cortisol is coursing through your body and you're in that stress response, all those things, digestive system, lymphatic system, immune system, reproductive system, your memory, uh, your, your, your cerebral, you know, uh, um, executive functioning of your brain, all that stuff is shutting down because what your brain thinks is that you're under attack and your brain doesn't want you stopping to think about stuff, right? Your brain doesn't want you to waste energy on digesting a sandwich that somebody else is, you know, whatever's chasing you or threatening you is likely to digest on their own, right? And so that's the way it works. And so so what you're doing is you're putting your body into this in- enormous level of what they call hyperarousal, which Again, 77% of American adults, this happens every single day, right? And it happens just like I'm describing, right? We'll just be sitting at our desk and all of a sudden, boom, into our mind, some, some memory pops up or some concern for the future pops up and all of a sudden we're in that stress response and it happens very quickly. And, and we don't recognize it. Most people who, people who don't practice mindfulness don't recognize the stress happening as it's happening. And so therefore, it just becomes a chronic condition. And that, my friends, is something that we need to be very, very concerned about, right? But in the context of compassion, right? Now, you can see that if I'm, if I'm holding my compassion from that one person or that one segment of society, whatever it is, well, then what am I doing to myself? I'm actually hurting myself, and so therefore, I am not able to, to, to practice and to express that compassion for myself, right? Which is, and, and self-compassion is something that is associated with so many positive things, right? The, the lower anxiety, lower stress, uh, better sleep, less perfectionism, uh, more resilience, more optimism, more, uh, you know, more <laughs> just, just, betterness, right? Just more wellness and less unwellness is is associated specifically with self-compassion, right? So you can see how you're, you know, by, by not offering compassion to someone else, that you're actually hurting yourself and you're actually taking that, that life-giving ability to, to practice compassion for yourself and you're just abandoning it. And it's not good for you. And I care about you. That's why I don't want you to do it. Okay. But let's talk a little bit more, right? Again, that's, you know, it it is very much about ourselves, but even on a deeper level than that, compassion can be about us as opposed to just being about the other people in our lives who, you know, who were, you know, thinking about with compassion. Remember I said earlier in this, in this video that many people, when, when we talk about compassion, many people think that compassion is just something that we feel for others, right? I mean, a lot of people aren't even aware of self-compassion, right? There's a, a famous old uh, story about when the Dalai Lama came to the U.S. in the mid-90s to, to, uh, to meet and work with a bunch of psychologists and, and neuroscientists to, to, to kind of prove the work that, that we're talking about, prove the effects of the work that I talk about in this, uh, in this podcast and video series, 
And and in this meeting, right, he was in a meeting with, I don't know, 30 or some uh, psychologists, right, from America. And somebody, it was actually Sharon Salzberg, who I believe, who that's, that's what I've heard, uh, who was an amazing mindfulness writer and, and teacher and a person, an awesome, amazing human being. Apparently, she stood up and asked a question, and she referenced the, the, the concept of self-loathing. And the Dalai Lama apparently went back and forth with his translator for like minutes. Like the whole room was silent as he just tried to grapple with his translator of what that even meant, this concept of self-loathing, right? And when finally he, he figured it out, he turned back to the room full of psychologists and he says, how many of you, do anybody else feel this self-hate, the self-loathing? And every single hand went up in the, in the room and he almost fell off his chair, right? Which says a lot about our culture, of course, but, but it says more about the, the effects that this can have, right? Or, well, well, what it says is that is that the the lack of awareness is is very much associated with the illnesses that we're feeling in this country, right? So, so let's again, let's not get too digressed by these funny stories, but um, so so let's talk again about the the concept of um of compassion for others as opposed to compassion for ourselves, or or how compassion for others is actually good for us. Let's talk about that for a moment, okay? Now. I'm sure you might remember, I talk about this quite a bit too, that, that according to uh, the, the world-renowned neuroscientist Richard Davidson, um, who goes by Richie to people <laughs> who, like me who wish that they were his friends. I have such like a man crush on Richie Davidson. But anyway, um, he, uh, he, he says that there's, and, and he's not the only one, I'm just quoting him, but, but according to, to him and other neuroscientists and psychologists, there are four consensus constituents of well-being, right? Meaning that there's four elements to our well-being psychologically, right? The, and in no particular order, the, uh, the, the four constituents are um, resilience, um, outlook, meaning the ability for a positive outlook, okay? Um, attention, meaning the ability to hold our attention on a certain thing and know when our attention is not on that certain thing. And then finally, generosity, Right again, those are not in an order for for any you know specific order or anything, but those are the four constituents of well-being. So I want to illustrate for you right now in these last few minutes of this video how practicing compassion checks off every single one of those four constituents of well-being. Okay, which means that it is going to be good for you. Okay, so let's take the first one again. They're not in order, but resilience. Right, when we feel emotionally overwhelmed for whatever reason, right, with anger or grief or, or sadness or, or, you know, jealousy or, or what have you, right? Resilience is obviously the, the ability to come back from that, right? That you go up, but you come back down. The, the quickness, the, 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 the amount of time or the, the, the rapidity with which you are able to come back down to your baseline, to your, your place of, of what we call homeostasis, right, which is where everything's in balance and working as it should, that's what resilience is. Right, and the, and the sooner you're able to bring yourself back down, the sooner you are able to, the, the more resilience you're showing, right? Which is again a key aspect of our of your well being, right? So when we practice compassion, so many times, right? So many times in our lives, the things that create the emotional um, uh, spike or the, that hyper arousal and the stress response and everything else, like I'm talking about, the majority of the time that that happens, there's another person involved. 
right? Either you're, again, sitting at your desk thinking about some bully from when you were eight years old, or you're thinking about, um, you know, your boss who's going to, uh, you know, cause problems because this is, this uh, project is not going well, or you're talking about uh, another coworker who, who didn't do their job on a certain project, and now you're going to be responsible for the boss, you know, that kind of stuff. Or it could simply be another driver on the road. It could be someone, uh, it could be someone on TV, like a certain political figure whose uh, career is coming to an end now, you know, whatever, like it or hate it, you know, it, it creates a, 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 a reaction to us, right? So I'm not trying to make any political statements, just a little fun there. Um, but the point is that that so many times when we're feeling that hyper arousal and we're feeling that, that, that stress in our bodies, right, there is another person involved, right? And so when we can lead ourselves with compassion, really prioritize compassion, what it makes us do is it makes us understand the motivation of the other people in our lives, and we find ourselves much easy, we find it much easier for ourselves to forgive that person, right? And so we bring ourselves back down, right? So, so there's resilience. We've checked that one off. Now let's go on to the next, which is um, uh, outlook, right? Outlook is, you know, when we're talking about in terms of the constituents of well-being, outlook really pertains to the ability to see a potentially positive outlook on the situations and the people around you, right? Meaning that even someone who is doing something really bad right? If you have the ability to see the potential for some good in that person, which everyone has some good in them, right? Even somebody who's done horrible, horrible things, at one point in their life, they had some goodness in them, right? And that goodness is there. It's just really, really deeply buried, right? And so when we can see that with compassion, right, we can see that that potential positive outlook, on people and on the circumstances around us that have to do with people, which let's face it, almost everything we do in our lives has to do with other people, right? We are very social animals, right? Now, the third is attention, right? And attention is really, really, really valuable, okay? As somebody who used to have an extreme wandering mind and, and just an awful time trying to focus, I know how valuable it can be, and I know how damaging it can be when we are not able to focus our attention or know when our attention has wandered, right? It's a very, very big deal, right? And again, just by considering compassion, Right. Just by by looking at other people and, and finding that ability within you to feel compassion for them, you're automatically paying attention to what is happening as it's happening. Right. Because you're not thinking, oh, I hope for their well-being, you know, in 10 years. <laughs> I hope for their well-being, you know, um, uh, you know, last year, but not now. Right. That, that's not how it works. If we're if we're wishing for someone's well-being, if we're if we're standing with someone who is suffering, that is a present tense concept. Right. So just by paying attention to it and just by considering those who who could benefit or or for whom we we want to give our compassion, we're automatically resting in the present moment and paying attention to the present moment. 
Okay. Now the fourth, and this is the easy one, right? Generosity, altruism, right? That's the easy thing, right? When we are compassionate for others, we find ourselves much, much easier, or we find it much, much easier for ourselves to give ourselves, right? There's a, a notion in the, in the, philosophy of the world. I, I don't remember exactly where I heard this. I think it might have been Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, uh, a Zen master from uh, Vietnam. He's like almost 100 years old at this point, 95 years old. And he has a, a quote, I'm pretty sure it's him who has the quote that says, and he's not the only one, right? Even like Dan, uh, Dr. Dan Siegel just wrote a whole book with Tina Payne Bryson talking about how valuable your presence is for your ch children, right? That if you just by paying attention to your children, just by giving them your presence and your uh, you know connection you are doing more than all the school all the friends all the sports all the drawing the music all that stuff put together right the the ability for the parent to be present with the child is shown to have a much bigger effect than any of all that stuff right and so what Tiknat han said is that the greatest gift we can give to someone is our attention is our presence and that is so true Right. Whether it's your children, whether it's a, a clerk, a, a cashier at a grocery store, whether it's a, a barista, a, somebody in your office, the, the person in the mailroom who nobody ever pays attention to them. Right. If you make eye contact and give a heartfelt thank you to this person for dropping off your daily mail to you. Right. You are giving that person a gift and you are making that person feel good. And that is good for you because, again, generosity and altruism, which that is, is one of the four constituents of your well-being. So in summary, right, and this is kind of where I get to the point where why do any more podcasts tomorrow? Because really compassion is everything we need. It truly is. It truly is. And that's why it's a huge part of my work. It's really now the focus of my work, but it's been a huge part of my work since day one. And that's really what's missing from a lot of the, you know, when, when, um, when people talk about Mick mindfulness, which I talked about here the other day, a lot of what the, the criticism of people who practice, you know, who do the, the apps for, you know, who, people who've created the, the mindfulness apps and do these, you know, kind of very simple practices just to get yourself calmed down so you can work better at your desk and stuff like that. The criticism of that, which again, that's labeled Mick mindfulness by people who are, you know, maybe, uh, more spiritually aligned with, with the mindfulness practices that are millennia old. But the real criticism that they have over this practice that they call Mick mindfulness is the fact that it lacks the, the attention to compassion because that is something that ultimately is what the world really needs, right? Because it, just imagine, just what I walked through just now, right? If every single human being on the planet were to prioritize and focus upon compassion practices for themselves and for everyone else, imagine how much this world would change. And you know what? You can do that right now, right? It doesn't take a lot of effort to be compassionate. And it actually, again, it feels really good. It makes you more well and it, and it helps everybody around you. So it's not the kind of thing that's a very hard thing to practice, right? And so how do you practice it, right? It's very simple. I know this video is getting long here, um, but it's very simple to practice kindness and compassion, right? Just 
<laughs> just set the intention to be more kind, and I talked about this the other day, but just set the intention to be more kind and compassionate to everyone and then when you find yourself slipping, when you find yourself like, oh, I just wasn't really as nice as I should have been to that person. I just spoke a little short to them. Then just bring yourself back. Okay. It's the same practice as mindfulness and meditation. When we're meditating, we find our mind wandering off. We notice that it's wandered. We acknowledge that it's wandered. We thank our mind for doing what it's doing. And then we gently but firmly bring our attention back to our breath or whatever it is that you're meditating on, whatever object of your meditation. And so it's, it's as simple as that. Now, here's where the rest of the mind, and this, maybe this is the reason why I'm going to do a podcast tomorrow. I mean, I was never not going to, but, but maybe this is the need for the other podcast, is that you know by, by practicing meditation and mindfulness practices first, what we do is we build that skill. Right, so that when we are practicing compassion, and we, we're going to be much more likely to recognize when our compassion has waned, and to then bring it back. So that's the story, folks, and that's really, really how important compassion is. Again, not just for everyone else, but for you. Okay, so I appreciate you. I appreciate your presence with this podcast and YouTube channel. I, I really do wish for you to be well. I really do wish for you to be free from suffering, to be free from fear and insecurity. I wish for you to be forgiven by yourself and others for your mistakes and your misdeeds. I wish for you to feel loved. I wish for you to, to feel that in your heart, that there are people in your life who love you. Because I don't care who you are, you do have people who love you. All right. And most of all, I wish for you to be happy. And if you would if you would like some help with any of these practices that I'm talking about, well, I'm going to again invite you to go over to my website, artburnscoaching.com. There's a banner on the bottom of every single page that has a big clock on it. Okay, you can't miss it. Just click on that. It's going to open up to a calendar. You pick a time that, that's highlighted the right color, meaning available, it means that it's available for me. Whichever one of those is also available for you, just click on it. It's a 45-minute meeting that does not cost you anything. I carry the costs of this meeting for you. And so, and, and if you, if you, you know, click on that, answer a couple of simple questions, your name, your email address, stuff like that, and then we're booked. And then I do the rest of the work. Okay. Then all you got to do is show up with presence and with intention for, for, for improving, you know, for, 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 for gaining the ability to live life on your terms and to show up for your life and for all the people in your life who, who do love you and who do look up to you and who need your presence. And I would love to do that for you. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Again, uh, hopefully tomorrow, maybe you're going to see this microphone mounted a different way. I don't know if it's going to be what it's going to look like or anything like that, but uh, I guess I'm just giving you a heads up. So anyway, thank you again, everybody. I wish you well, and I will be back again tomorrow, and I hope to hear from you. All right, everybody, take care, and have a great day. Bye-bye.